I'm Kendall. And I'm Kylie. And you're listening to Smitten, a podcast about love stories in all shapes and sizes. Hello. Hey, hey, hey. Episode (laughs) four. (laughs) Yes, episode four. Wow. This is the first episode that we are releasing after the first three. (laughs) Yeah, not not kind of like this is we're getting into the groove of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess this will be our first like weekly episode. Yeah, I know. So we probably we hope said you in like the, the first, first three. <laughs> yeah, we well, we probably said in the first three, like, oh, next week's episode or something like that. When in reality, they're all going out at the first, yeah, the first drop. Yes. Um, <laughs> speaking of our first drop, I mean, this will already have happened. We posted on Instagram and Facebook and Facebook. Mm-hmm. So yeah, go for it. And we started, we started uh, following different people that we know mm-hmm. and podcasts that we like yeah but today i got a notification that like i have three instagrams on my phone now right like mine mm-hmm. jacks my pug and mm-hmm. smitten and i got a notification for smitten that m schultz started a live video but I, at first oh. i just saw m schultz and i was like you <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> just almost gave me a heart attack i know attack. <laughs> So, anyways, I had, like, a fangirl moment, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Paul is back. But, anyways. Nope. <laughs> no. Sorry. <laughs> anyways. Um, Follow us on Instagram. No, I, I ha- I've been, um, some stuff finally came in the mail today, and so I've been working on it, because I don't think we've actually mentioned this, but I'm about to get married yes. in July. So, uh, well, I guess it'll probably be, you know what a week or two after this comes out anyway i've been doing some crafts wow (laughs) so i wanted to show you this cute little what i'm gonna do for favors because so our wedding was originally quite small so thankfully we didn't have to you know change that much but now for safety reasons it's just gonna be like our families and Mm -hmm. that's it so unfortunately kendall won't be there but (laughs) look can, oh, oh that's so cute isn't it oh my it's a little gosh. it's a little hand sanitizer that says spread love not germs which is also uh fitting for our podcast yeah <laughs> wow so how relevant well, and like I know. hip is that <laughs> isn't it cute yeah i love that yeah we'll put a little picture on our instagram or website or something yeah <laughs> love that that's so fun Yep. So, what's the theme for this week? It's a mother's love, and I'm so excited to talk about this because mothers are just the best. And I'm like, my research (laughs) is on uh, gender and environmental history, but part of what I'm interested in is motherhood, and I'm especially interested in maternal activism, where people use their moral authority as mothers to gain political power Mm. um in order to like which is uh, from the little that i've seen of your pictures is potentially what it is exactly tying into my my story so yeah wow yeah you can think about like moms against drunk driving Mm -hmm. is a good like famous example yeah Um, but i think it's so interesting so that is so interesting (laughs) and you're gonna love my story i can't wait um no i think that this is a powerful 
theme and idea in mm-hmm. general because a mother's love is very strong mm-hmm. and yeah neither of us are mothers nope. <laughs> but we have some good mothers so. yep. <laughs> shout out to my mom the only yep. one listening to this <laughs> you're great <laughs> This is also our first episode with a non-romantic yeah. love theme. Yeah. So we'll sprinkle these in mm-hmm. throughout the... They're probably less less abundant, mm-hmm. but I think they'll be fun to have every once in a while. Yeah. Um, I have some love facts. I'm ready. Okay. I'll, I'll do one and you do one. I like doing that. Okay. Switch yeah. Off. Me too. Um, <laughs> but mine... I will say that mine get a little technical or like scientific so bear with me people okay so this fact is regarding um the lack of a maternal influence in a person a lack of a like parental like when figure when somebody doesn't have a like a maternal figure in their life Mm -hmm. okay yeah um so from the london journal of primary care they stated in a study quote There is increasing evidence from the fields of development, psychology, neurobiology, and animal epigenetic studies that neglect parental inconsistency and a lack of love can lead to long-term mental health problems as well as to reduced overall potential and happiness. Wow. Meaning that neglect, parental inconsistency, and a lack of love can lead to all of these things, which includes specifically reduced growth in the left hemisphere of the brain which may lead to associated increased depression risk increased sensitivity in the limbic system which can lead to anxiety disorders and reduced growth in the hippocampus that could contribute to learning and memory impairments wow i know that was like super scientific but but too long don't read is like it can really mess with your brain to not have parental consistency in your life or in a lack of love it messes you up yeah Yeah. wow like actually found in a study so (laughs) anyways um okay i'm gonna share one more because it kind of is related a little bit um so this is regarding like maternal instincts but more so maternal instincts before a baby has been born so if like when you're pregnant and you feel like you're already very connected to the baby, that's what this is. This fact mm-hmm. is relating to. Um, so a study looked at a hundred pregnant women, and the results revealed that a maternal prenatal attachment. So saying like, oh, I already feel like I know the baby, towards the unborn baby is a good predictor of the early mother infant relationship. Wow. Yeah. So. I guess it is tied that, you know, you as the sooner you start that bond, the better it is mm-hmm. for when the baby is actually there. So, hmm. interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, it's also interesting because according to a 2019 article uh, by the Pew Research Center, I was kind of surprised by this, but more women are becoming mothers than they were a decade ago. Oh, is that weird? Yeah. The number of mothers uh, in the U.S. increased 6% between 2006 and 2016 from 80% to 86%. And it's 
especially the case for women with more education. So 80% of women age 40 to 44 with a PhD or professional degree had children compared with 65% in 1994. Wow. So 80% compared to 65%. Hmm. Isn't that weird? I, I wonder if it's like in the beginning of women entering the workplace at higher levels than they were Mm -hmm. if they were like you know can't have babies because that will just like you know mess with my career and I don't want to do that you know I just want to do me and get my career and now it's a little bit more I don't know I I can't say Mm -hmm. speak from personal experience but you know (laughs) I would assume it's a little bit better to have like work work life balance and have a baby and not be like oh well you have a baby so now you're gonna like slack on your job so yeah that definitely makes sense I think overall, what surprises me, though, is that it feels like uh, people are more accepting of um, women, especially not having kids. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's surprising to me that that number is increasing. But yeah, uh, whatever. But uh, <laughs> whatever. whatever. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, women are also I, I think first it's important to note that um, there's a difference between, you know, bodies and gender and mm-hmm. everything i'm just gonna say women for simplicity mm-hmm. uh but women are becoming mothers later in life mm-hmm. now uh the median age of a first-time mother in the u.s is now 26 compared to 23 in 1994 that still seems like high you know <laughs> like 26 mm. or it's wait did you say high or young young high doesn't yeah. make sense that's that still <laughs> seems young to me yeah it, it i don't know my mom was i don't know 35 when she had me my mom was probably around that too yeah so maybe a little younger maybe that's my like frame of reference but yeah well and we're both younger siblings mm-hmm. so yep but still what's more problematic perhaps is (laughs) that moms now spend more time in the labor force and more time on childcare. so in 2016 women worked an average of 25 hours per week of paid work compared to nine hours in 1965 Mm. but in 2016 they also spent an average of 14 hours on childcare, up from 10 hours in 1965. Huh. I, that's so weird. I yeah. I'm not really sure like what where the kids were. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe because it's more less of a like turnkey. Is that what it's called? Like turnkey parenting, where you like like latchkey latchkey turnkey like like a house is turnkey ready that's hilarious um hi welcome to our H E T. i'm interested in that podcast <gasps> house hunters rewatch podcast <laughs> hi um my husband is a cat sitter and i am a paint by number professional and our budget is two million dollars <laughs> <laughs> anyway oh that's funny i i maybe helicopter parenting is more prevalent it's just yeah it's different parenting styles maybe yeah yeah well it's also important to note too that dads are also spending more time on child care thank god so it's not just yeah but, oh, but wasn't that, was that study about women or like mothers 
Um, this was an article that cited like survey research, so it was about both. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. Okay, that's an interesting. Point. Yeah. Uh, also, about a quarter of mothers in the U.S. are single mothers. A quarter. A quarter. But d- but so single mothers, but. I, I don't know why I'm always trying to poke holes in these facts, but sorry, I just am analytical. What can I say? Um, but does single like mean that the the father is not in the picture? I think it meant that it, like there's not a like the mom doesn't have a long term partner or mm-hmm. whatever. Not necessarily the child's biological dad. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and as an extension of our previous episode, oh. an increasing portion of babies born in the U.S. are being born to foreign-born mothers. Oh. Yeah. So, like, the mothers here with a U.S. citizen father. Well, or they're just here. Oh, okay. That's true. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. Yeah. How interesting. What a fun uh, fact, fact. Yes. Connection between two episodes. How many back fact? <laughs> um, my last fact, which is totally random and not necessarily a mother's love fact, but seventy to eighty-five percent of women hold their baby on the left side. That is so fast. I always hold my niece and nephews on the left side. Isn't that weird? Always. I actually, you know, then you can do things if you're right-handed. That's, that's exactly. Then you can do things with your right. Yeah, hand. that's what the the statistic said. Is like once you're, mm-hmm. you know, on if you're right-handed or right side dominant. Mm-hmm. But um, I've only held like one baby, so, and it wasn't <laughs> on like my hip. It was like, you know, with a bunch of pillows around me because I was like, I've never held a baby. <laughs> oh wait, no, I've held Fletcher. You held, you held, yeah, you okay, held my held two babies. <laughs> <laughs> but not like on my hip, oh. you know, just like, yeah, crate cradling in my arms. But yeah, anyway. no, it definitely is weird when you hold them on the other side. Yeah. Huh. Um. Well, I have a more depressing. Oh. Okay. Fact now. Okay. Uh, this is horrible, and I think everybody in the whole entire world should know about this. But uh, especially given everything that's going on, um, it's crucial mm-hmm. that people are aware that black mothers in the U.S. are three to four times more likely than white ones to die from pregnancy or childbirth related complications i that's insane and i i think this is like the perfect example of systemic racism like even if you're Mm -hmm. not racist like you're not in like a situation actively trying to be racist the the system still is Mm -hmm. racist you know like you whatever doctor bias or nurse bias that it still exists even if you're like not actively being racist like it still perpetuates yeah the situation so yeah and that's even like emphasized by the fact that class and level of education have very little effect at reducing the numbers Mm -hmm. or like the risk that black women face which means that even rich educated black women with lots of support and lots of resources are still at a much higher risk of having complications which of course isn't to say that poor or right. uneducated women should be at a higher no, risk but, but it's like even with the extra yeah, resources taking down all the f- other external factors like we yeah. are still presented with this issue mm-hmm. it's weird though because um 
compared to other racial health disparities, pregnancy is like way the difference is way bigger. Mm. So a black woman is 22% more likely to die from heart disease, 71% from cervical cancer, and uh, than a white woman, but a whopping 243% more. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I wonder why also, like why specifically that is the case. I don't know. Yeah. Huh. Um, And relatedly black babies are twice as likely to die before their first birthdays as white babies oh my god isn't that horrifying that is terrible (sighs) well okay i'll i'll insert a tangent since we're on this topic Mm -hmm. but um i was looking at some facts i think you shared them on your instagram story as well and i found them so maybe Mm -hmm. this will sound familiar but it was about like the disparities between black people and white people in different or in different yeah i guess different systems like education or healthcare. Mm -hmm. oh yeah and there was actually i don't know if this is relating to the instagram story so sorry but anyways (laughs) i read this one story or study that um asked a bunch of uh people adults to look at pictures of young girls ages like zero to 14 black girls and white girls and they would ask the same question like oh if you saw this girl wandering in the street would you help her and as early as four years old the people said no they wouldn't help the black girl but they would still help the white girl and when asked why they said well she knows like she knows what she's doing at four years old are you kidding me so babies anyways racism is real people wake up (laughs) (laughs) sorry I mean, we're not sorry. Nope. Well, we're sorry. We're not sorry for bringing it up. No. Anyway, uh, to end our love facts on a slightly happier note, uh, I have one more. I guess two more about uh, the effect of a mother's love on a child's brain and also on their future relationships. Um, So this is a little bit like what you were talking about with your first fact. Um, But a 2012 study found that um, children whose mothers were very nurturing had 10% 10% larger hippocampuses than children whose mothers weren't as nurturing. Um, and the hippocampus has been linked to, or a bigger hippo- hippocampus has been linked to better memory. So that's good. Um, and in this study, about 95% of the mothers were biological mothers of the children, but 5% were not, which also shows that these effects might be present in. Um, might be present with non-biological caregivers interesting so that's cool yeah you just so, like need someone love the babies yeah <laughs> yeah wow. um and then another study found that kids who had good attachment with their mothers were in earlier adulthood better at resolving relationship conflicts and had more satisfying relationships with romantic partners wow mm-hmm. that seems a little freudian at the end of the day but <laughs> yeah. you know that's okay maybe you learn like good you're like able to model good yeah relationships maybe mm-hmm. in a non-freudian <laughs> way <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. freud love freudian love oh. our next topic <laughs> okay. we'll put it on the list yeah <laughs> well are you ready to hear about my story i'm so ready okay let me go i'm so excited Yes, you're going to want to look at the pictures for this one. Uh, wait to look at them, though. Oh, okay. Um, but you are going to want to. Okay. Uh, I'm 
honestly truly might cry <laughs> oh no it's there's some ups and downs you'll see so uh today i'm going to be talking about safe haven babies oh i'm already gonna cry Whew. safe haven is a term that comes from safe haven laws which every state in the u.s has A safe haven law is a law that allows parents to surrender a baby to the state, usually anonymously and without criminal liability. Mm. The first of these laws was the Baby Moses Law, enacted in Texas, Mm. of all places, in 1999. Um, And the purpose of these laws are to protect newborns from endangerment or death by abandonment. Uh, These laws are typically limited to infants, sometimes only applying to babies as old as 72 hours. Um, But 19 states accept infants under this law up to one month old. Approximately 20 states in Washington, D.C. allow parents who surrender their babies to reclaim parental rights, usually before a certain amount of time is up. Um, And after that amount of time, parental rights are terminated. But in 18 states and Puerto Rico, the act of surrendering a, ch- surrendering a child automatically relinquishes parental rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, so today, I am going to be talking about um, safe haven baby boxes, um, which started in Indiana. So these cases that I'm talking about come from Indiana. Um, and the three main articles that I'm using are from a reporter named Katie Cox at RTV6 Indianapolis. So I just wanted to give her a quick shout out because they're good articles and uh, really interesting stories. So thank you, Katie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So my first story. Uh, Well, okay, I guess before I get onto the stories, I'm going to talk about Safe Haven baby boxes. I I don't. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It it, it sounds bad, but it's okay. Okay. So even though these laws exist, the laws themselves aren't always effective at protecting babies. Babies being surrendered isn't that common, but it does happen. Um, Since Indiana started tracking the number of surrendered babies in the state in 2008, 47 infants have been safely surrendered. Prior to 2016, an average of two to three surrendered babies in Indiana died per year. So, in Indiana, a woman named Monica Kelsey, who was herself an abandoned baby. Oh, my god! You can see her picture. Yeah, you can see her picture on the um, website. Um, she founded Safe Haven Baby Boxes, which give mothers in crisis a safe and anonymous place to surrender their babies. The first box was installed at the Woodburn Fire Department in 2016 in Indiana. Um, since launching Safe Haven Baby Boxes, all surrendered babies in the state have lived. Wow. Um, yeah. So, on the website, you can look at the next few pictures to see the actual boxes. Yeah. Um, they are incubators with heating and cooling features to keep the babies safe. So, as soon as an infant is placed inside, an alarm is triggered that notifies 911 immediately and then first responders are able to come collect the baby immediately and take it for a medical evaluation. The babies can then be transferred to DCS and placed in foster care, and Kelsey says that the babies usually spend only about a month in foster care before being adopted to their forever families. 
Um, there are now nine safe haven baby boxes in Indiana with more in the works. Uh, safe haven also has a 24-hour hotline for parents in crisis who can speak with trained professionals about their options. Uh, if you ever need to contact this hotline, it is 1-866-99-BABY-1. Um, they've had 58 babies in Indiana come through their program since it started in 2016. As of 2018, the hotline had also received 758 calls from women and men who wanted more information about safe haven baby boxes or about how to safely surrender their babies. Of these calls, or of those 758 calls, only four led to surrenders. Wow. For the rest of the callers, mm-hmm. for the rest of the callers, the safe haven counselors helped parents find alternative options and resources to help their situations. Um, so there was one mom, for example, who called asking about the nearest safe haven baby box, and after talking for a bit, the counselor determined that the mother thought that she needed to surrender the baby because of homelessness, but the safe haven counselor informed her that there were other options, and the counselor helped her find a maternity home where she was able to live with her baby and have some safety and stability while she looked for a job, so she was able to stay with her baby. (laughs) I This is so emotional because I'm just thinking about the the thought process of surrendering a baby and how hard it must be for these parents and i'm just yeah we'll get there (laughs) yeah um kelsey says that they've had all kinds of people come through their program including a registered nurse a mom with four kids a single mom and career dads safe haven baby boxes does a lot of community out reach using billboards school visits and first responder training to spread the word about their services and the options and resources that parents in crisis have to protect their babies of the project kelsey says it's so beautiful to see something that could have been so tragic is just so beautiful and the parents that have these babies are so blessed and so so thankful that these mothers did the right thing it might not have been what we would have chosen or somebody else would have chosen, but she did the right thing. These moms are very strong to be able to surrender their newborns and let their own heart break, ultimately. <laughs> Safe Haven Baby Boxes are now currently in four states, including Indiana, Ohio, Arkansas, and Arizona, and uh, they're planning to launch more in at least two other states. Wow. So that is kind of the background on safe haven baby boxes. Yes. <laughs> what did you have a statistic about how many babies died? So in Indiana specifically, um, an average of two to three surrendered babies in Indiana died per year. Okay. Which I think means that they died like in the process of being surrendered or something like. Um, especially since these boxes have like heating and cooling it's probably like a baby gets left at a fire station or something and yeah so now i'm going to we end we end ultimately with happiness so good we're going to good places 
but now I'm going to tell the story of a woman who goes by D.H., who chose to surrender her baby using a safe haven baby box. <sighs> Buckle up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this woman, who goes by D.H. to protect her safety and the identity of her child, told Indianapolis RTV6 her story in a June 2020 article titled Behind the Box, A Mother's Story of Surrendering Her Newborn Out of Love. D.H. chose to share her story to counteract the stigma associated with women surrendering babies, and she shows that surrendering the baby was the right choice for her and her baby. So D.H. found that she had unexpectedly become pregnant, her life had taken a turn, and there were circumstances that she had no control over. She felt ashamed and alone, and she was trying to decide what she was going to do. She knew that she couldn't financially support the baby, and she knew that the circumstances beyond her control would prevent her from giving the baby the life it deserved. So D.H. kept her pregnancy a secret. She worked long days, up to 14-hour shifts, while she was pregnant, trying to get her life back on track. But one day, only 30 minutes before she was scheduled to work, D.H. went into labor. She knew the labor was going quick, and by the time that she thought about calling an ambulance, it was too late. She was so far along that she wouldn't make it to the hospital in time. So D.H. gave birth at home, all alone, to a beautiful baby girl who she called Mila. You can see a picture of sweet baby Mila on the website. <laughs> She's so cute. Um, by this time, D.H. had decided that keeping the baby probably would be in nobody's best interest. But she still wanted to be the best mother possible for Mila. So she had been doing research about birth and post-birth care. Because of this research, she was able to do what's called a lotus birth, which I've never heard of. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's apparently where the baby is born and you keep the baby attached to the placenta. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so... Yeah, so it can get, like, nutrients from the placenta. That's a thing. For, like, 30 minutes after oh, 30 minutes. birth. That's it. Yeah. Okay. And then you, like, snip it off or whatever. <laughs> and um, so DH also cut the cord, bathed her, and breastfed her. It's a huge mental decision, DH said. And I was selfish. I wanted as much time as I could get with her. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so sad. Yeah. So she spent two more days with Mila, researching all of her options before finally deciding to use a safe haven baby box. Because of DH's situation, she determined that it wasn't safe for her to surrender Mila to a place like a fire station, DHS, or an adoption agency uh, because they would want to know information about her. Um... And so from her research, she knew that the boxes were safe and that Mila would be picked up immediately and taken in for medical evaluation. Um, so the boxes were thus her best option. I'm only crying a little bit. <laughs> this is really emotional. <laughs> I know. Okay, I'm listening. DH went to a safe haven baby box location and placed Mila in the box. 
She also left Mila with a letter letting her know and whoever adopted her know how much DH loved Mila and wanted to keep her, but that she had to do what was best for her. She also included any information she thought might be helpful for Mila in the future, like medical information. Um, the note read, <laughs> at least in part, this is what the um, article showed of it. It read, Dear baby, I just want you to know that the short time I had with you was so beautiful, and every ounce of love I have, I gave you. <laughs> the decision to give you to a family was by far the hardest I've ever made. You are so beautiful, sweet little bundle of pure joy. If I had everything you needed, I would have absolutely kept you. But I don't have all of the things you need. It is the right thing to do. I don't want to cheat you out of a beautiful life. I fear we would have had a very hard time. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> That's not fair to an innocent, beautiful baby. I will think of you every day. <laughs> oh my gosh. I didn't bring the tissues. I'm sorry. I should have warned you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay, there's a happy ending. Keep going. I'm holding out hope. Yes. Um, DH closed Mila in the box, and Mila was retrieved in four minutes. I don't care what anyone says. DH is quoted in this article. That just because you made that decision, you're not a mother. You still are. I wanted just to make sure they saw her. Or I waited just to make sure they saw her. When asked about what advice she would give to mothers in similar situations, DH said, All these babies that are dying, there are options for women so that this doesn't have to happen. If they're in danger, if they have an abusive ex, this is one way to make sure that your baby can live and be loved. She also says that it's okay to have regrets. I regret making the decision, DH said, but I also keep reminding myself that I made the right one. So it's bittersweet. As for Mila, DH said, I wanted her more than anything. I just had to think, this isn't going to happen. It's not a fairy tale. Things are going to get way harder before they get any better. And Mila didn't deserve that at all. Inside each baby box is also a backpack. When women drop their babies off, they take the backpack. And inside each backpack is a bunch of resources, including numbers you can call for support and to find out how your baby is doing. <laughs> so that's all I know about DH and Mila. But I have one more short story about a baby who was left in a safe haven baby box who was adopted okay so here we have our uh, happy ending on the other side of things so this is the story of jennifer and mario melgoza for three to four years jennifer and mario had been trying to have children but in 2015, Jennifer found out that she had polycystic ovarian syndrome, or PCOS, and she later found out that she was infertile because of it. Mm -hmm. So in 2018, yes. I'm sorry. Do you <laughs> follow Raw Beauty Christie on YouTube? Um, 
no but i follow somebody who's like friends with her so i've seen a couple of tweets about this yeah she, she has just got that pregnant disease or and she got pregnant after being told she's been infertile her whole life oh my gosh yeah, so anyway. did she do like fertility treatments or she, she did but she didn't she got pregnant naturally at the end like she had finally given up and been like you know i'm not gonna be a mom it's not in the cards oh for me gosh. and then she got pregnant just like naturally can you imagine i know you should watch her video like where she finds out she said oh this gives me goosebumps she records every pregnancy test she's taken for the past 15 years just in case and one time it just happened to be positive so you should watch her she, she's like oh a cool gosh. youtuber <laughs> sorry <laughs> i don't know if my heart can handle that Whew. okay um so in 2018 jennifer and mario decided to try to adopt after getting approved by the agency, the couple began receiving emails about children who needed homes. Jennifer and Mario would ask to be considered to adopt these children, um, but they always ended up getting placed in, in other places. Um, it was heartbreaking to be turned away, Jennifer said. But in September 2019, an anonymous woman made a choice to surrender her baby girl in a safe haven baby box. The story made the news... And Jennifer's husband, Mario, said, maybe we've been having such a hard time because she's supposed to come home to us. Oh, <laughs> Jennifer and Mario decided that if DCS contacted them about the baby, they would ask to be considered. And within a week, they got the email. So they replied and they waited. And DCS finally called them back and scheduled an interview. So finally, on October 7th, 2019, Jennifer and Mario got the call. They would um, get to see the baby. Oh my gosh. The baby was a month old when she arrived home. From that moment, Jennifer said, we knew she wasn't going anywhere. No. She was home. This is where she belonged. <laughs> um. Even the baby's name proved that the situation was meant to be. Jennifer and Mario knew that they always wanted to name their baby Grace. And it turns out that everyone else had been calling her Grace. What? I just got full Can... body goosebumps. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what? Can you believe that? No, I don't believe it. She was like, wait, how did you know that's what I wanted to call her? And they were like, that's what we've been calling oh my gosh that's like weird that's like the world is working for you right there yeah whoa um you can see a picture of the Melgozas, and then uh don't go too far a oh. couple of pictures of um baby grace All right. uh but grace was the first safe haven baby in their area so the adoption process was a little bit more complicated than usual um before they could submit the petition to officially adopt grace they had to publicly announce their intent to adopt her so that the biological parents had time to come oh. forward if they wanted to i don't know all the context or nuances of um that requirement but you can see the newspaper ad mm -hmm. so after three months of waiting baby grace was finally able to be adopted and on January 22nd, 2020, a judge officially declared Jennifer and Mario Grace's parents. And it's kind of cute and funny because you can see the picture of them at the courthouse with the judge. And the judge is holding her up like she's in the Lion yeah, King. Yeah, for real. 
that's hilarious. Um, so after years of waiting for a baby, Jennifer has a message for Grace's biological mother. I would love to tell her thank you. She's a blessing. Grace and her biological mother both. I love this woman. I don't even know who she is, and I've got so much love for her and what she gave our family. And um, that, I guess, is our few stories about safe haven babies. Wow. That yeah. was a roller a journey. coaster. I yeah. am... I have a lot of feelings. I just, I feel... I, know. I think my biggest feeling is, like, how difficult it must be for a mother to make that decision. You know? Yeah. You have to be so strong. I can't imagine. It just sucks that... Um, people are being put into that situation in the mm-hmm. first place because in cases like this not like they would prefer right. to give up their babies there just aren't enough resources or you know the situation is too complicated yeah well i'm yeah. worried about the um dh and how she gave birth alone like did she get go to the hospital afterwards well, and if she's, like, concerned about anonymity and, yeah. like, her own safety, right? I have no idea. It has to be difficult to decide whether or not you should go to the hospital or something. But I guess people have also been giving birth for a long time, so. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Um, <laughs> wow. Well, I like the idea of a safe haven box. I hope that gets yeah implemented elsewhere, especially... <laughs> on the coasts i feel like we always mention the coasts but you know (laughs) like especially on the east coast where it's extreme weather you know or in general yeah places have where there's extreme yeah that's a good point Hmm. wow well first complicated first tears were shed on smitten those were the very first tears of smitten podcast definitely not the last i'm such a crybaby yep it's (laughs) gonna happen yeah We embrace it. Yep. Well, let's hear about your story. Okay. There's no tears, probably. Okay, good. um, I don't know. Maybe there will be. Okay. (laughs) Okay. 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 My story is about Terry Jo Bischel and her son, Louie. So, um, her son is now 21 years old, but at the time of the article that I read, he was only 19. Anyways, so... Terry Jo was a midwife, and her husband, David, is a pediatric heart surgeon. Wow. Yeah. It's like a medical family. Yeah. Midwives are so cool. I don't know anything about them, except that there's a Netflix show called Call the Midwife, and it's based in, like, the (laughs) whatever decade. I don't know. I took a uh, sociology of health and medicine class in college and we had a midwife come in and talk to us and she was just so cool. So that's just what I think about. What's the difference between a midwife and a doula? I have no idea. (laughs) Raw Beauty Christie. Wow, I can't talk. She was a doula. What? I don't know anything about. A doula and a midwife offer different types of services, even though they both support the childbirth experience. Midwives have medical training and focus on delivering a healthy baby, but doulas focus on the needs of the mother offering mental physical and emotional support okay there you go so you could have both technically if you wanted yeah okay um 
yes so she's a midwife david is a pediatric heart surgeon um in 1998 terry joe became pregnant with her son at age 38 um she had already had three daughters there's a photo of their family i think it's a set of twins they look the same (laughs) so she had um I believe a set of twins and then another daughter. Um, oh, they do look the same. Yeah. Right. Okay. So they all look very similar. Though. Right. Yeah. Um, but after her daughters were born, she suffered two miscarriages before becoming pregnant with Louie. So she's been through a lot so far. Mm-hmm. Um, but on February 26th, 1999, Louie was born, quote, crying, healthy, pink and fabulous. <laughs> Um, oh, that that's my new tinder bio <laughs> <laughs> i don't know no i love that um i think you could say that about this podcast right crying healthy pink i don't know about the healthy but you know pink fabulous. fabulous um so louis seemed especially happy smiling and laughing all the time but he wouldn't breastfeed and he didn't sleep well at all um Hmm. and within a few months he began missing milestones like sitting sitting up um or crawling or babbling so the pediatrician recommended that they go see a neurologist um and that neurologist diagnosed louis with cerebral policy but Hmm. terry joe and david were not convinced that that was the actual accurate diagnosis which i mean you know the father being a pediatric heart surgeon i'm sure he knows um so yeah yeah so um (laughs) he's i'm sorry he's so cute in this picture not the dad the the baby baby. (laughs) the baby's so cute in the family photo happy i know yeah he is really cute um so smiling yeah um so they were not convinced it was actually cerebral policy so they did their own kind of research and um suspected it was engelman syndrome and they were right so um they did additional testing and they were right and he was officially diagnosed with engelman syndrome at 14 months so i'm going to talk about that for a second the syndrome okay um so it's a complex genetic disorder that primarily affects the nervous system noticeable by the age of 6 to 12 months and Hmm. this is a little bit nerdy like my first love fact but i appreciated it so maybe you will too um but the results of it like why it happens is from the loss of a gene called ube3a so normally Mm -hmm. you inherit one copy of that gene from each parent and both are turned on or active both genes are active in many different parts of your body but in certain areas of the brain only the maternal copy is active and sometimes oh. due to a genetic mutation the maternal copy gets lost therefore the syndrome is triggered uh, so wow. i know that was a little bit much but no that's like no that's really interesting um and some that's it's just bonkers right the body the body insane. i know literally like, what's going do you on ever, like it just you know, just it just works around. or like doesn't work. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Crazy. Um, so some signs of Engelman syndrome are developmental delays, intellectual disability, 
no speech or minimum speech, difficulty walking, happy, excitable, personality frequently smiling, trouble going to sleep and staying asleep. So Louis kind of hit a lot of those boxes. Um, yeah. But oh. a happy, excitable personality is just like, yeah. you know. It's, um, uh, maybe you'll get more into this, but um, it's it makes you think like wonder about uh people whose parents aren't you know cardiologists or whatever and they just go where do these people live um virginia so they're in the u.s yeah Mm. yeah um so the rest of the story just kind of focuses on terry joe the mother but Mm -hmm. anyways you'll see um yeah so terry joe attended the first ever first ever international angleman syndrome organization world conference in finland (laughs) that was a mouthful wow um but uh at this conference scientists were investigating innovative ways to reverse the disorder and terry joe came out of that optimistic that there's a treatment uh for angleman syndrome coming soon um Mm. So she started holding fundraisers to help the scientists uh, fund their research and, you know, marched her towards a cure. But Terry Joe developed a sense of urgency about what research was needed and grew frustrated that she couldn't do it herself. So there was only ah! one solution. She would become a scientist herself. What? <laughs> yes! Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. I know. Um, so into what a bad, literally ass. badass, literally. She's like, well, oh my all, you know, all these people are just not doing it. So I'm just going to do it myself. Not good enough. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so in 2009, Terry Joe enrolled in the Vanderbilt University's Brain Institute Neuroscience Graduate Program at nearly wow. 50 years old with no hard science background. With a little tiny baby. Well, and like he's now 7,000 other but. children with a 10 year old and three other children. Exactly. So, um, Jeez. during her, that's, uh, that's I like, I want to quit right now. And I, it's just, I'm just like laying on my couch, you know, <laughs> I know like literally I can imagine being 50 years old and going, I can't imagine being 23 and going back to college. <laughs> so, you know, that's yeah. just crazy. Wow. Um, that's my thing. Yeah. Yeah, so after two years into her lab studies, the principal investigator left her for her project, so she had to start all over with new with a new project with a new investigator. That was a speed bump. Um, but in 2015, she co-authored a study that linked Engelman syndrome to a slowdown in circadian rhythm. So oh. because of this scientists would be able to tell right away if a treatment was viable because if the circadian rhythm improved then the that meant that the treatment was working isn't she insane what? i'm just like blown away so wow. um finally uh in 2016 at the age of 56 she was awarded her doctorate degree um and a few months later after 10 years of doing unpaid research consulting and fundraising yeah she hashtag <laughs> academia literally um she was hired as the director and scientific officer of a new association the engelman biomarkers and outcomes measures alliance shortened to be a bomb which maybe not the best acronym <laughs> but 
no anyways that's a little questionable <laughs> um but she works with researchers and pharmaceutical companies to bring promising drugs to clinical trials and currently i i think this is currently i couldn't like really get a date on this uh-huh. but i believe she is running for metro city council person in virginia wow. for district 34 can you do enough like (laughs) seriously um (laughs) it's like uh it's almost time for my (laughs) afternoon nap actually (laughs) yeah um that that's the story of terry joe i i don't have more facts but that's insane wow like what a amazing woman to just go out and be like you know what my son's not getting the best care i'm just gonna go do it myself thank you so um shout out to all the badass mothers out there y'all are killing it doing the most the best i applaud you all um yeah there's a photo of her on our website that she's holding up a sign which i can't remember what it says because it won't load for me i will will not give up she's like in a lab yeah oh my gosh i mean The point I'm trying to make is that a lot of, like, disability activists advocate, I guess, for not focusing on, like, cures and stuff. Oh. So, I don't don't know what I'm trying to say. No, I get what you mean. It's, like, you don't need to necessarily cure it. Like, just accept. Yeah. It's just, like, who this person Mm -hmm. is. But then if he's, you know, suffering. Right. Like, to... To take to take it into her own hands, right? Do what's best for her. I know, baby. (laughs) Oh my gosh! And she just like this picture is just so adorable of him in the rocking chair and her sitting next to him, like with her little Apple Watch. I know. (laughs) Just in her like patterned pants. What? I know. Uh, What? Uh, like icon. Icon. She's an icon. Yeah, Terry Joe Bishel and moms know how to get stuff done for real. I love that. If it's not getting done, I'm doing myself. Seriously. Anything you can do, and I then, can do better. <laughs> <laughs> and then to also apply that to her community. Yeah. Wow. And then I want to tell you next week's news. <gasps> oh, wait. Hang on. Okay. It is. I'm I'm sorry. I've been waiting all day <laughs> for this. Okay. It is Forbidden Love. <gasps> Yes. Okay. That's so exciting. That's so exciting. I know. I was going back and forth. It's so hard to choose because I'm like, oh, I want to do that one. I want to do that one. I kind of almost thought like put a random number generator and just like let it pick. But then I'm like, no, (laughs) let's be methodical. But yeah. Yeah. Forbidden Forbidden love. love. That's a good one. I know. I'm excited to research. It's going to be juicy. 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 Get some gossip. Some hot tea hot tea to mm-hmm. spill um wow i sound like such a millennial <laughs> um yeah so actually next week like this will actually be happening a week from now we will yes. be talking about some forbidden love so mm-hmm. come back and listen to that um also if you have any forbidden love stories or love stories Ooh. in general but specifically forbidden love i'm really interested in it so Go submit listener love stories at smittenpodcast.com. There's a button in the top right to submit a love story. It's very easy. Yeah. Easy peasy. You can email us if you want, but, or you could just go to the website. 
I guess because you'll be there anyway to look at the pictures. Exactly. We know you're mm-hmm. already there. <laughs> <laughs> we currently have 21 followers on our Instagram since uh, going live. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so maybe you know we can get that up, increase that a little bit. Can you work on it? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Also, uh, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, and follow us at Spitting Podcast everywhere that you could think of. Mm-hmm. Not true, but Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. <laughs> Should we make a TikTok? Yeah, I think it's time. We talked about it. I was this. literally just—I know—I was just thinking about that right before I got on. Boom! Snap! Clap! You remember that one Maybe. TikTok that it's like, boom! Snap! Clap! Get it right. When they're trying to do the dance, uh, the um, renegade dance. No, I, I feel like you have different that. TikTok feeds, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, mine's no, mine's like a lot of like home DIY oh. right now. <laughs> yeah. Oops. I get those. like a lot of protests and stuff. Yeah. Well, yours is probably a little more mature than mine, but no. Because <laughs> okay. you're old. Yeah. <laughs> Millennial, you. <ew. laughs> Us Gen Zers are only into TikTok dances. Okay, that's what TikTok <laughs> was made for. So we're actually TikTok purists. <laughs> that's all I got. Yeah, we'll see you next time for forbidden love. Come ready for some drama, some hot goss. But thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.